This is Wahasu, the World Happiness Summit. Feel the science. Hi, Jen. Hi. Thank you so much for being here in such an important part of, uh, of Wahasu. And also, uh, many of you may not know, but Jen is our special guest many times at the Chief Happiness Officer certification program that we have with Florida International University. So thank you for that. I know that there's several CHOs here. Who, yes, so thank you so much for, for doing that. Jen, tell me about today's workplace. What, what's going on? I know that you're a well-being expert, particularly in the workplace, and also you have some life experiences around to, to share uh, some resilient stories. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's going on in today's workplace is a great awakening <laughs> by the workforce and a dated workplace and work style that are butting heads. Um, you know, the session today is talked about is, is about burnout in the workplace and, and you and I talked a little bit behind stage. And I've been thinking about this because I have my own story of burnout. Um, and this is not to diminish burnout in any way. Burnout is very real for those who experience it. But I think what is going on today is not actually burnout. I think the workforce is stressed. I think the workforce is overwhelmed. I think the workforce is fed up. I don't think the workforce is necessarily burnt out because the workforce is saying we're done until you figure it out. <laughs> the workforce is taking action. When you're burnt out, you have no motivation. <laughs> you don't care. You don't care enough to change things. And today's workforce actually cares enough to say until you're ready to engage me as a whole person and allow me to define the role that work plays in my life not define my life by the work that I do. That's right. very different. <laughs> so are there people who are burnt out? Are many of us on our way to burnout if we don't find a better way? Absolutely, but I think what we're seeing and hearing and feeling is not actual burnout. It's fed up, <laughs> pissed off, Whatever you energy. want, there's, there's but a there's a lot of, a lot of there's yes. a lot of energy, there's a lot of desire, and there's a lot of action for change. And I think that's what the great re resignation, reevaluation, whatever you want to call it, there's lots of words for it. Um, but from my own experience, when you're burnt out, you don't have the energy, the motivation, you don't care to make a change. And today's workforce is forcing that change. And the organizations, I believe, that don't make that change, aren't going to survive. I agree with you. I, 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 what I call it, it's a, it's a gas fire. Just nobody has lit the, the match yet, but then it will explode. Yeah. Um, we've talked about language, right? And you just brought it up that, you know, we call what's going on right now burnout, but it's, it's really not. And so if we give solutions for burnout and it's not that, we're going to, you know, not listen to the needs or desires of the workforce that is so important. So how do we begin to have a, a, a vocabulary in a language? Because strangely enough, when we go to school, like for example, trigonometry, the first thing is like, what's a triangle? What's a rhombus? What's a, a, a circle or circumference? These are words that we never heard before, right? And we define it. Same thing with a language, foreign language. Why don't we do that with well-being? 
Why do we do that with well-being? Why don't we do oh, why that? Why don't we? Well, we should. I mean, that's what you're creating here, right? That's, there, there is a language around well-being. There's a language around happiness. It just hasn't made its way into the workplace. You know, when I took on my role as the chief well-being officer seven years ago, which, by the way, was groundbreaking for Deloitte. <laughs> yeah. Still is groundbreaking. It still today. is groundbreaking. But if you think seven years ago, people were like, well, being what? <laughs> you want to do what? Um, and, and that's kind of how it went for a while. I mean, I had support from our leadership, but I was just Jen over there trying some things out. I was piloting, but I took advantage of that. And I said, okay, I'm just going to pilot until it's not a pilot anymore. And if people like it, the energy will grow. But to your point around language, I think that that was one of the most important things that we did at Deloitte was we created a language because there wasn't one that existed. We created a framework. We gave people permission to talk about it. Um, I think, you know, perhaps one of the unfortunate things in the world of wellness and well-being is there's lots of buzzwords, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think that is what's happening again, not to diminish burnout because burnout is very real for anybody that goes through it. But I think we are, using it haphazard, haphazardly, does that come out right? <laughs> um, and so, but, but the language exists. I mean, we've heard it from Marty Seligman. I mean, we've heard it from all the great people that have come across the stage. So we just need to infuse it into the world of work. Um, and, and I think that that's happening. I mean, there was a, a Microsoft, uh, their, their talent trends, 2022 that came out last week and 53% of the workforce that they surveyed had said in that survey that they're putting their health and well-being before their work and that's a big change since the pandemic so you know if there's a silver lining if there's a gift that the pandemic has given us and I think there's quite a few if we step back and look at it is that the workforce is saying there is a language not only is there a language there are things that we can and should be doing. I, I think the big thing in, in the world of work and especially in corporate America is culture. Yeah. Um, and I've learned this throughout my journey in my role um, because where we started is not where we are today. And I think that that's really important for organizations that are just starting on this journey and for people that might be just starting on this journey. We started with a language, we started with education and we started with programs. Where I think we are now is that well-being isn't a series of programs. The exactly. programs are important. The education is important. But this is about culture. And it's about, again, the way, where we want work to fit into our lives um, and not the other way around. It's about working better together. And we're, <laughs> Just your it's book. about working better you know? together, yes. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's incredible how we let fear dictate these actions right because these like you said the language is there we know it. we're here we're, we're, we're you know not only this conference but other programs that we've talked about and discussed here are are exposing this language but for some reason in the workplace we're so afraid of you know vulnerability feelings um, and I I want to tap into you 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 jumped on how from burnout to how you created this position because <laughs> you actually created it 
And it makes me think about what Tal was saying, that it's like this opportunity for growth, right? So you went from burnout, I mean, real burnout. And then how did you get yourself back? Because what you've been able to do is magnificent. Thank you. How did I get myself back? Honestly, it's a little bit of a blur. <laughs> My husband's somewhere in the audience. Maybe you should ask him. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I went to therapy. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I stepped back, right? I, I had, I didn't have a choice. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing with burnout. I mean, or with anything similar to burnout, um, you can stay where you are or you can try to move. You and I have talked about this before. Um, yeah. So I, I, I put in the work, you know, and I had lots of conversations with people that cared about me. And I had to do the work to redefine um, for myself first before I could do it for anyone else. And I think that that's a really important message for all of us, but especially leaders. <laughs> you have to do the work for yourself before you can lead others. I mean, we've heard it so many times, but that's so true with well-being. There's so many leaders that are great leaders, but they sacrifice themselves, right? And so I think that's part of what's missing. And I know I'm not answering your question, but I think that's what part of what's missing is why there isn't a language, because we don't have role models that are doing this really well in the workplace. When we look around, we see or per perceive that everybody's sacrificing themselves for work. Um, and those that in my case, when I burned out, when I did look around, everybody has a way of, you know, putting on that face that like, I got it all together. So I was like, wow, it must just be me. I must be a failure. Maybe I can't cut it here. All those things inside your head. Um, but, you know, so how did I get there? I, I had to put in the work, you know, and I had, I was supported by incredible people. I had an incredible leader at the time that basically said, I mean, <laughs> You take the time that you need, but you need to get your S shit together. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and so that's what I did. And it was hard. Um, but I had to redefine what wellness or well-being meant to me in my life. It wasn't just getting to the gym an hour a day. Because before that, I prided myself on that. I was like, hey, I'm better than all of you because I got to the gym an hour a day. I might have slept two hours and worked the rest, but I went to the gym. And that was what I told myself, that it would keep me going. And obviously it didn't, um, but I had a lot of help from a lot of people. And I, I mean, I think we've heard that so much here at the, at the summit that, you know, that the support from others and asking for help from others. When I was burning out, I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't ask for help, you know, because I was scared. I was afraid to ask for help. I was afraid that, you know, I wouldn't be accepted or I would be viewed as that failure or that nobody would, come to help me um but they did fantastic and uh how did you do this amazing uh job crafting because you, you 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 know you were another innovator there was no position there was no chief well-being officer you're the first one and you actually created the position so you had to make a case for well-being inside deloitte i did yes so the same leader that that I was talking about that kind of gave me the space, but also kicked me in the butt. Um, <laughs> after after I came back and you know sat down with her, I, you know, and doing the work for myself, I became very passionate about wanting to help others. I didn't know what that looked like inside of Deloitte or inside of corporate America because you're right, it didn't exist. 
we had great programs and benefits for our people when it came to taking care of their physical health, health most, mostly. Um, and so I was really kind of set on the fact that I would probably need to resign to do this kind of work. And so I went and I sat with her and I told her what I wanted to do. And she was the one, more so than me, that kind of had, that had the vision. She was like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Get that idea out of your head. Go back to where you came from, put together a business case for this. And so that's what I did. And again, it was at her, kind of her vision and her encouragement. I think what was challenging at the time was there wasn't a model for this. There wasn't, a, there wasn't the research that exists today around well-being and high performance, around happiness in the workplace and high performance, around relationships and connection and belonging and growth in the workplace. It didn't really exist. You know, it ex existed in, in you know, academic literature. Mm -hmm. The research was there, but in the workplace, it didn't exist. So it was, it was hard to put together a business case. Um, <laughs> I surprisingly, I thought I was going to get a lot of pushback, um, but I didn't. And, and I think it is that connection between uh, well-being and high performance. There's a, there's a view or was a view that, you know, high performance and well-being were mutually exclusive. And so if you took care of yourself and you took the time to take care of yourself, then you know, you, you, weren't, you wouldn't spend the time working. Exactly. So we wouldn't want to encourage you to take care of yourself because we'd rather you work. <laughs> um, but, but the truth is, is when you're take, I don't need to convince you or this crowd, when you're taking care of yourself, you are better in every aspect of your life. Um, and that was kind of the, the crux of the, of the business case at the time. And so for Deloitte, um, you know, we are an organization that we don't have a product that we sell. You know, we sell the, the, the brains of our people, you know, we solve our clients most complex problems. And so having a well workforce that is fully engaged and creative and showing up as best as they can every single day, I don't like to say showing up your best every single day, because who's their best every single day? <laughs> What's your best for that day? Um, you know, it, it hits the bottom line, right? I mean, if you aren't, if you're a workforce that is unwell and not taking care of themselves, then they're not doing their best work. They're not providing the best work to the client. And ultimately, that will impact the bottom line of the organization. Jen, the burnout wasn't your only challenge. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're a rock star, you're a powerhouse, you're a survivor. And I, well, no, you're a thriver. <laughs> you are amazing. Do you want to share a little bit about your story around the challenge and bump that you had while you were a well-being officer? Yeah, absolutely. So um, about nine months into uh, my role, after being named chief well-being officer for Deloitte, I was uh, unexpectedly diagnosed with breast cancer um, at, a, at a pretty young age. Um, and really what my knowledge of the disease was at the time was you know, something that happened to people much older than me um, and something that actually happened to people that had a history in their family. Um, and so for those of you that don't know much about cancer like I didn't, um, especially breast cancer, only about 10% of women who get diagnosed with breast cancer actually have a history, history in their family. But my view was that, you know, it was mm -hmm. largely, you know, ran in, uh, along family lines. And so, um, I was completely shocked and, you know, I was nine months into my role. I was just hitting my stride. 
in my mind, I was doing everything they tell you to do. You know, I was exercising. I was finally getting more sleep. I was eating good food, like all the things. I'm not a big drinker, not opposed to it, but not a big drinker. Um, so how could this happen to me? Um, and but it did. And, um, you know, I I remember um, the, the call that I made to my boss at the time, our chief talent officer, Mike Preston, who is now retired. Um, and I and I to tell him that I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, I said to him, um, hey, Mike, you know, I, I understand if you don't want me to be the chief well-being officer anymore. And because in my head, you know, I had cancer. There was nothing well about me. <laughs> um, and, and there was this long pause. And um, I was like, okay, is he actually considering it? <laughs> um, and he said to me, you know, Jen, you're a really smart person, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, so I still have a job, I guess. <laughs> and he was like, look, you know, you're going to get through this and this is going to become part of who you are. It's going to become part of your story and it's going to allow you to be even better at what you do and share another part of yourself with others so that they too can help themselves. And that was the moment. So for anybody that has ever been diagnosed with cancer or any other kind of disease or knows someone that has. I mean, when you're told that you have a life-threatening disease, you, I mean, we've been talking about it, right? You, you, you automatically kind of go to like, okay, well, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die, you know? And in that moment, in that call with him, and, and when he retired, I wrote a letter to him and I told him this because I'd never actually, I think I told so many other people, but I never told him directly. Um, but that was the moment that, that everything changed for me where I said, you know what, there's a purpose, there's meaning behind what's going on. And I can either let the cancer define me, or I can do something with it. And like he said, you know, have it allow it to make me better in whatever time that I have left, but also use it as a way to help others. And so that just further kind of inspired me in my role. But it also, I think, really inspired me in terms of Kind of how I went through treatment and how I viewed treatment because I was like, all right, yes, I have cancer. Cancer doesn't have me. Um, I wasn't going to let it define me. I still went to the gym, even though I sat there some days in the gym and did nothing. I still went to the gym. <laughs> you know, I still saw my friends. I still, I, I did the things that made me me, um, and I refused to to let it define me, even on the worst days when I felt like crap. Um, and, and, and also I think what's really important is that for me, I continued to work, um, and I'm not suggesting that anybody continues to work. You have to, you have to, it's your own journey mm -hmm. and you have to figure out what works for you. I continued to work because I had an incredible team and leaders who gave me all the flexibility in the world that I needed. Um, and I continued to work because I was passionate about what I did and it was important to me and it kept me going. And I know the kind of person I am. If I didn't work, mm -hmm. I would have sat and gotten depressed and ruminated on the fact that I had cancer and why me. Um, and, but, but what did happen and what changed for me was boundaries. Mm -hmm. When you're going through treatment and you can't get through the day without taking a nap because you just physically can't, it doesn't matter who wants to talk to you on the phone. You're taking a nap, <laughs> you know? And so, so when I was going through cancer treatment, 
I had, you know, I had boundaries and I communicated those boundaries and everybody respected them. When I came out of treatment, I, not anybody else, I started kind of putting less focus on those boundaries. Well, okay, I know that that was supposed to be by nap time, but Karen wants 15 minutes. You know, I, I started kind of nego negotiating that me time away. Um, and it wasn't because somebody was telling me to or that I had to. It was me telling myself that I needed to. And so that was a big aha for me. Um, and I, I think what I learned through the cancer treatment is that, you know, we have to set our own boundaries, but we also have to stick to our own boundaries. <laughs> um, and that's hard to do because we feel like we're letting people down. Um, but the only, I mean, who you're letting, you're let, you are letting but everybody down if you don't stick to your boundaries because you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing your, your story with us um and and you and i have talked about how it's difficult to have these boundaries when everything's going well we don't you know and, and we've talked yeah. about these moments where we've had the rug pull under us and that's why you know we're such advocates for well-being for happiness because we were shaken into it and i think i commend the people that have like uh, rosy disposition and things have gone largely well and you still choose happiness uh, for us, it's kind of survival, mm -hmm. you know, and I just want to end and say that I think on a personal level that you are a rock star, Thank you. that you are transforming the workplace, the work that you're doing and your team who's here today. Just amazing, amazing what you're doing. You're calling attention to this. You're at the front front. You do it like like a, 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 a I mean, you're beyond professional because you do it with such love, with such care. And what I love is that you keep your boundaries, you know, whether it's around sleep, whether it's around how you do meetings and uh, and you make it with such compassion and kindness. And it's such a pleasure to work with you. It doesn't feel like work. It's just amazing. And I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. And uh, and Jen's going to be signing her book tomorrow. So, yay. Thank you, Jen. You're listening to the World Happiness Summit podcast. For more information, check out our website at worldhappinesssummit.com or send us an email at contact at Thank you for listening.